Let's stand for the reading of God's word today. All scripture is God breathed. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Thank you, Patrick. Good morning. Last week, we talked about conflict. There was a conflict in the church at Philippi that threatened to bust things apart. This week, we're looking at tranquility. It follows naturally when talking about conflict, God would like to bring about tranquility and peace. Let's begin with verse 4. Rejoice always in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, we looked at this one verse last time, but it is the natural bridge between conflict to tranquility. Paul came back to a cardinal point that he had experienced in his life, and he wanted to impart to others. And that is the concept to rejoice. To have joy, even in the midst of conflict or following conflict, joy is possible. Oftentimes, as we look at today, we look at the troubles and the trials and the problems, and they seem overwhelming. And we can sometimes lose that joy. But it is possible. And let's remember, rejoice is a verb. It requires action. And this is a command to us. We need to rejoice. And the amazing thing is, it's kind of like busting a dam open. Once we begin to do it, the floodwaters come and joy returns. In verse 6, we read, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do not be anxious. That stands in stark contrast with the verses around it, verses like Philippians 4.8, which is packed with content helping us not to be anxious. 
This is something, this peace, this tranquility is something we could all use more of, I think. Now, I want to have a query here. We're going to put up three images, A, B, and C. And I want to get your opinion. I want to find out which of these images speaks to you, particularly about tranquility. Are you guys up for that? All right. Let's put the first image up. This is A. Now B. And C. All right. Who here favors image A? Who thinks that image B speaks most to us about tranquility? And finally, image C. I guess C wins, all right? But the, the thing is, each of those images is a picture of landscape and life that God has provided, isn't it? And they do speak to us about tranquility, and that is something that God wants to impart to us. So in a world that's just going crazy at times, let's grab hold of God's tranquility. It may be as close as stepping out your back door and looking at the sunset. So God wants us to have tranquility. But you say, but God, times, they aren't tranquil. Hmm. Here's another picture for you to weigh in on. Here it is. This reminds us of the Garden of Eden. Who appeared in the form of a snake? Satan, that's right, the devil. And he is the father of lies. He will lie to you. And he's a thief. He will steal your joy and your peace. He came to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he will flood your minds with negative thoughts if you let him. There is a battle going on. My mentor, Pentecost, writes, On the authority of the word of God, I submit to you that the greatest conflict being waged is not international, not political, not economic, and not social. The greatest conflict taking place in the world today is the battle for the control of our minds. We need to win this battle. And God has prepared information to help us. So he says, don't be anxious. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount spoke about anxiety. Some of the things that he talked about is causing anxiety back then still causes 
anxiety today. Things like, what will I wear? You know, what will I eat and drink? You know, granted, we live in a prosperous world, and it sometimes doesn't seem like that's such a big deal until you have snowmageddon. And they turn off the water. And then you say, what am I going to drink? <laughs> and he also talked about the future. That can certainly cause anxiety. The things that caused anxiety are still with us today. But David Melnick reminds us that prayer corrects anxiety. Prayer relieves the problem of anxiety. The central verse in this is significant, the significant part. Prayer is to be offered with thanksgiving. An attitude of gratitude accompanies all that we can do to approach the Father. When we lose sight of thanksgiving, we can get wrapped up in all the hubbub and all the difficulty and all the bad news. But slow down. Take a moment to pray and give him thanks, reflecting on all the ways that he has helped us and all the ways he has blessed us. And it kind of chases out the spirit of anxiety. Thanksgiving expresses that which we should uh, never, which should never be absent from our devotions. The grateful acknowledgement of past mercies as distinguished from the earnest seeking of the future. Now he says, present your requests to God. First the prayer, first the thanksgiving, and then asking for things. You and I have the responsibility to make our requests known, to pray. Sometimes it's easier just to be anxious and not pray. But we need to, to take this verse and do what it says. Pray about these things, trusting our Father in heaven who loves us. Anxiety taps you on the shoulder and whispers in your ear. Things like, your plans are not going to work. You're a failure. Your wife is going to cave in. Disaster is coming. <laughs> and these messages, kind of like feedback, can grow and become dominating. So we need to do what this verse says. To not be anxious. To pray about all things. To give thanks. And then present our requests. Lord, I need help in this area. The alternative is prayerlessness. But we don't have to be prayerlessness. We can be prayerful. And when we consistently take our concerns to the throne of God, our Father, God's peace will be ours. Peace is the result of prayers going up. When God's peace is present... It transcends all understanding. That's what we see in the next verse. And the peace of God, 
which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The answer to anxiety is the peace of God, isn't it? Peace surpasses all things. This, this word transcend, I like this. It means to excel, to be better, to rise above. So picture all this anxiety at this level and then the peace of God rising above and becoming dominant in our hearts and our lives. That's what he offers us. His peace passes all understanding. It surpasses all things. It rises above the things that vie for our focus. When trials and problems, COVID-19, other things, begin to attack us, this peace rises above them all. And this peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Guard is a military term. It refers to a sentry standing guard standing at the gate, preventing things from coming into our life that will worry us and guarding what comes out from our lives. This piece will guard your hearts. The word cardia, the, the center of our lives, the origin of our thoughts and plans. And it will guard our minds, the, the thoughts and the acts of the will which flow from our heart. Peace is always appropriate and meets the need of the heart. This peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And again, guard is a military term that is implying that peace stands on duty, keeping anything out that brings care and anxiety. For these reasons, prayerful people are peaceful people. We can bring our prayers and our petitions and our requests to God. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray for forgiveness of the past, for things that we need in the present, and for help and guidance for the future. We can take our own past and present and future into the presence of God. We can pray for others. We can commend to God's care those near and far who are within our memories and our hearts. I've prayed for many people over, over the, the time I've been a Christian and believer. I think about one instance where I had a friend and he was a pastor and he came down with cancer and I was motivated to pray for him and I, and I fasted and I prayed. And this gives us an opportunity to draw close to God and trust him. And I'm glad to say God delivered this individual from his cancer. Next up, what we fill our minds with has tremendous impact on our thoughts and ultimately on our actions. One estimate says that people can be exposed to as much as 1,500 attempts to influence them, advertisements and so forth. Everything that you see on computer, everything that you hear on the news, you hear these commercials. What is it between scenes on the TV? Well, there are what, like six commercials? I don't get it. Um, 
Every time we go out, we see a billboard. We hear things. We see things. All of these things are designed to influence what? Our minds. To cause us to do what they would like for us to do. Now I got a true false question for you. Here it is. Ready? The greatest sins are the sins of the mind. What say ye? I'll tell you where I'm going with this. What was the first sin in the universe? Pride. As we read the accounts of the fall of Satan, he was the anointed cherub. He was perhaps the highest, the most beautiful of all the angelic beings. And he was lifted up with pride. And because of this, he said, I will be like God. Because of his pride, he sought to replace God with himself. How about people? We can commit sins of the mind too, can't we? What are some sins that people experience? Well, lust, greed, contentiousness. There are all kinds of sins that originate in the mind. And so we need some help with that. And God is about to give us guidance. As we look at Philippians 4.8, I'm reminded of what Chuck Swindoll says when he quotes this verse. Chuck likes to say, it's time to get our thoughts on better things. So let's break this verse down. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. The first characteristic we are to use in guiding us is truth. This word can mean truthfulness. It can also mean dependability, that which is true and we can depend on. There are things that are true. Many things in this world, however, are deceptive and illusory, promising what they can never perform. Offering false peace and happiness, which they can never supply. We should always set our thoughts on the things that will not let us down. One thing that fits well into this category of truth, many of you have in your lap the Bible. It is true. And though people have tried to malign it, criticize it, falsely say all things about it, it is dependable. It is God's revelation to us. We can count on it. And if we study it, if we read it, if we memorize it, if we meditate on it, it will change us. Now, note here before we go on, interesting, Paul doesn't deal with specifics as much as he deals here in this list of things. He deals with qualities. He deals with qualities that transcend time and culture. These are transcultural. They were true and they helped in the first century, and they are true and they help today. With that in mind, we'll go to the next one. Whatever is noble, 
worthy of respect or honor, noble, dignified, reverent. The word implies that which is majestic and awe-inspiring. Think of those pictures that we looked at earlier. Think of pictures that you've seen that are just drop-dead gorgeous. I think about something. I wish I could have found this to get the exact quote, but I remember it in principle. Teddy Roosevelt was president. He was in the White House. He had some dignitaries coming for dinner, and so they ate dinner and they watched the sunset. And as the sun was gone, the stars came out in all their brilliance. And after a time of just looking, he said to his guests, I think we are sufficiently in awe, we can go to bed now. (laughs) Friends, God is awesome. And what he does can fill us with awe. And it's a great replacement for the things that cause us anxiety. The person with this character is said to move through life as if the whole world were the temple of God, this awe feeling. The poet Matthew Arnold suggested the translation nobly serious. But the word which really describes, the word really describes that which has the dignity of holiness on it. There are things in this world which are flippant and cheap and attractive to those who never take life seriously. But it is on the things which are serious and dignified that Christians will set their minds. I have a person that does that for me. I'm thinking about a man who had a deep impact in my life, the Reverend William Walker. He'd been head of CAM International. He had been a missionary in Guatemala and El Salvador. He and his wife, in their senior years, he had the right to retire, but he was always ministering, always ministering. And he came to Florida Bible College. And I went to him and I said, Reverend Walker, would you disciple me? And he said, Mark, that's interesting. Because I've just been praying about who I might be able to do that with. And so we embarked on a years-long journey together. I came to his office once a week. We fellowshiped together. He taught me about the grace of God. He taught me about my identity in Christ. He helped me get established. And I got to tell you, he was the first person, the first man who took an interest in me as a Christian and as a person. And that meant so much to me. But Reverend Walker was always dignified, never stuffy, never so uptight, but had a joy and a a naturalness about him that was attractive. And he was noble. He respected God and he cared about people. That's this quality. Next, whatever is right or just. It is used to describe people who give other people what is their due. In other words, dikaios is the word of duty faced and duty done. There are those who set their mind on pleasure and comfort and easy things. The Christian's thoughts are on duty to other people and to God. Whatever is pure, morally pure, undefiled, 
The word describes what is morally uncontaminated. It describes what is fit to be brought into the presence of God and used in his service. The the world is full of things which are sordid and shabby and soiled and smutty. Many people develop a way of thinking that soils everything. The Christian's mindset is set on things which are pure. The person who is a Christ follower strives to have thoughts that are so clean they can stand up to the scrutiny of God. I am reminded of of, um, D.L. Moody's comment on that. He said, referring to thoughts that might not please God, he made an analogy. He said, it's kind of like a bird flying over your head. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head. Let's be honest, everybody has thoughts are not pleasing at times. He said, you can't keep that bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from making a nest in your hair. (laughs) When we catch ourselves thinking thoughts that aren't good, just stop, pray, talk to God about it. Lord, I'm sorry. I pray you help me with that. And he will. Whatever is admirable. Ask, is there something we can think about that is winning and attractive? Pick something like that to reflect on. Don't choose to reflect too deeply on TV, social media, or current culture, which pulls us away from God. I watched a few minutes of a vampire movie about a week ago. It was not attractive. Did it grab my attention? Yes. (laughs) Was it something pleasing to meditate on? No way. Change the channel. And then he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's as if he is saying, you know, it's okay to add qualities to this list. You can do that. Just make sure they are excellent and praiseworthy. Well, consider excellence. Leonardo da Vinci was once at work on this grand masterpiece. He worked on it for a long, long time. And he had students, his students there who watched him in the process. One student stood there with his mouth just, just in awe. So finally, Leonardo was just about finished with his masterpiece, and he turns to the student, hands him the brush, and says, you finish it. The student backs off and just says, I I can't. And Leonardo says to him, will not what I have done inspire you to do your best? Seek excellence. Now, what is the connection between anxiety and this verse? This verse provides an effective way to ward off pessimism and anxiety. This point, Randy, would you bring that bottle up here? Have an illustration for y'all. Thanks, brother. 
All right. Let's say that this bottle has bad air in it. How am I going to get that bad air out? Did I get the bad air out? No. It, same air is still in there. How am I going to get that air out? And for that, we apply the principle of displacement. Take a water hose and put it in the opening with enough space left for the air to get out. And then begin to fill this up with water. What happens to the air? It goes out. And friends, that's what this verse, Philippians 4.8, can do in dealing with pessimism and anxiety. As we begin to think on the things and meditate on these things, in contrast to all the bad news we see and all the things that come into our lives that we wish weren't there, as we begin to meditate on these things, it will restore joy. It will bring the peace of God back into our lives. So if we are struggling with negative thoughts and anxiety attacks and we have a troubled soul, those thoughts need to be displaced. Not by water, but by good thoughts. Biblical thoughts. Righteous, beautiful thoughts. And thoughts lead to actions, don't they? As a man thinks in his heart... So is he, Proverbs 23 tells us. And we see that in the next verse in Philippians as well. Whatever you have learned or received, the idea of receiving has to, this idea of tradition being passed on to you. Or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul concluded this paragraph by referring again to his own personal example. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. <laughs> Paul laid his own reputation on the line. I'm not sure everybody would feel comfortable in doing that, but he did. But it wasn't a pride thing. Those that knew Paul knew of his humility. He wasn't boasting about it. He was simply stating it because it was true. He said the similar thing to the Corinthian church. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This was no pious sermon, but an exhortation that could be verified by any person who really knew Paul. He was a person of humility. And Paul is saying, if you do these things, if you trust God and you pray about life and situations and think positively and think excellent and praiseworthy thoughts, you will experience God's presence and peace. The Philippians had learned and received many helpful lessons from Paul, their teacher. They had personally heard his verbal instructions and seen his individual example. 
They needed to put these things into practice, not just listen and hear about them. And the same is true for us today, isn't it? If we'll do these things, it'll make a difference, a real difference. Finally, he is the God of peace. This is a favorite title for God. The Jews never viewed peace as totally a negative thing, just the absence of conflict. They didn't view peace that way. They viewed peace as the sum total of all that had to happen to make life what it should be. And they viewed the peace of God as something that could restore relationships. First with God. We have the peace of God because we have peace with God available to us through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross, his payment for everything that we've done wrong, his sacrifice because he looked ahead and saw each of you and loved each of you and knew you needed to have a savior, a redeemer. And so he stepped up and he did that. And so we can have the peace of God because we have peace with God, which is true for anyone who has trusted in the Savior. God's peace resides in the lives of those who have ordered their lives in accordance with God's will. This includes proper and disciplined thoughts and good Christian living. Friends, when anxiety appears, the cure is prayer. When lives are disorderly and in conflict, the cure is mental and practical discipline, doing these things. So let's be people of prayer. Let's find good examples. Let's see what's in their lives and then imitate that. Just as Paul could say to the others, imitate what you've seen in my life. And then what's in your life will be available to be seen by others. And the cycle continues. Let's do that. Father God, there is so much in this passage. It's rich. And I thank you, Father, for the truth here. Father, it's not something I can claim to have mastered yet, but I'm on the road. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you, Father, that you have made this truth available to us, to teach us, to give us joy, and to sustain our peace. Father, we pray that we would live that kind of life so we can be attractive especially to those who are outside the faith and need to see that in us. Father, we give you thanks for the joy we have in Christ. Amen.